You might be excited to know this morning that the average lifespan for people living in the United States is actually growing. According to the annual review of public health released in March, it's a couple of months ago, life expectancy in the U.S. is at an all-time high of almost 79 years, meaning we have almost doubled in the last 100 years or so. But now for some bad news. 79 means that we rank second to the last in life expectancy among industrialized or so-called first world countries. We are 34th of 35 countries with only Qatar below us. And if you simply rank all of the countries of the world, we drop to 50th. We're not even in the top 25%. Monaco ranks first with a life expectancy of almost 90 years. Monaco is in Europe, just in case you want to move there. All that is a bit odd given the amount of money that we spend on health care and the fact that we have the best health care in the world. Latest numbers available, 2009, show that we spent a whopping $2.5 trillion on health care, on keeping us alive. All that money doesn't seem to be working. I found some studies suggesting that our life expectancy may actually go down uh, in the decades ahead. They gave reasons for that, and we'll get into it. Of course, there are scores of studies on what to do to increase your life expectancy. You know, things like better diet and exercise, re reduce stress, those things are typically on the list. But, but, but most, most recent studies suggest that genetics might actually be the secret. Genetics. In fact, the X Prize Foundation is offering Ten, a $10 million prize to the first group of researchers to complete the DNA mapping of 100 centenarians. That is, give us the DNA map of 100 people over the age of 100, 10 million bucks. Now, now why are they doing that? Because can you imagine discovering the secret to long life? I'm guessing, given the... Re research they're going through that the answer is not moving to Monaco. So what is the secret to long life? You, you say, well, I've read it's on the news every week. Everybody knows, stay away from drugs and cigarettes. Exercise and, and eat well and, and take those vitamins. Is that right? Did you know that the Bible actually reveals a different secret to longevity. In fact, I'm, I'm going to call this week that foundation and claim my 10 million bucks. The script, <laughs> that was my wife saying woohoo. Um, <laughs> the scripture reveals a different secret to longevity. And so I want to talk to you, especially young people this morning, even children and offer you the secret to a long, happy, and prosperous life. In fact, I thought about it, thinking about writing a book, calling it your real best life now. I'm just kidding about the book. But I do really have the secret. It's found in our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Now look at it. Children. Now listen up. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with the promise. Here's the promise. So that it may be well with you, that's quality of life, and that you may live long on the earth, that's quantity of life. There you have it. You want to live long and prosper? Obey and honor your parents. And you say, well, you know, my dad says that all the time. He says something like, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. The secret to living a long life on earth is to be found in obeying and honoring your parents. Now think about our society for just a moment. I mean, by now, we've got to be spending close to three trillion bucks a year on health care. It's one of the major issues in the upcoming election. Everybody's on a race to find the secret to longevity. Some people are actually paying to have their bodies frozen at death. It's called cryogenics in case someone comes along and discovers how to bring them back to life so they can live a little longer. Good luck with that. I looked it up. It cost you about $28,000. You know, I would... I would suggest that our country has one of the lower life expectancy rates among first world countries because of what? Diet? Because of exercise? Because of stress? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Those are probably contributing factors. Because you didn't eat right because your parents told you to. The Word of God says that long life can be tied to your relationship with your parents. Do you think that our society pays proper respect to parents? Has it been your experience at school that classmates, for example, honor and obey their parents? It's not intended to be funny. Is there a link when we spend enormous amounts on health care and yet find ourselves 50th in the world in life expectancy? Is there a link just suggesting to the parent-child relationship. I kind of doubt that all of those studies even factor that into their considerations. We have a bit of a challenge for us living in the United States. It was Edward, Duke of Windsor, he was no paragon of virtue himself, he was um, Edward VIII, who abdicated his throne in the, in the 30s to marry the divorced American woman, you remember that. Well, you remember reading about it. He, he visited the United States when he was the Duke of Windsor and said this, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. That was about 80 years ago. In a recent article, Al Mohler, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, references an essay by Daniel uh, Zalewski. I don't even know if Zalewski is a Christian. He is a feature writer for the New Yorker. Reference it with these words. Zalewski argues that picture books for children now reflect a world turned upside down in terms of the relationship between parent and child. As he explains, in the newest picture books for children, the kids are solidly in charge. In these books, quote, this is quoting the dude, the default temperament of the child is bratty. Parents are presented as frustrated, bewildered, and concerned, but clearly not in charge. It was not always so. As Zalewski observes, quote, 
The parents in picture books used to be tougher. Parents used to set the rules and children were expected to obey. Disobedient children were corrected and gasped, even punished. The new literature for children presents a world in which parents are more likely to obey their children. Not much has changed in the last 80 years. Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church out in California preached on this text, Ephesians 6, two months ago in March. I read his sermon. In it he said this. Speaking of the American culture, he says, you have a child-centered home and a child-centered society. Kids have been liberated from regular routine, constant parental care and authority and are being raised by their peers or by the media. One school teacher put it this way. Teachers are afraid of principals. Principals are afraid of the superintendents. Superintendents are afraid of the board. The board members are afraid of parents. Parents are afraid of children. The children are afraid of nobody. It is a disaster in a society when children make their own way. So I have the challenge this morning of swimming upstream against culture, and I'm actually going to suggest, buckle up, I'm actually going to suggest that the Word of God trumps children's books. I'm going to suggest that the Word of God trumps your peers. Paul is addressing what we, what Luther called the household code. In it, he lists the various responsibilities of individual members of the household. He does this in three pairings. You know this. Wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. This morning we turn our attention to children. Remember, this is flowing out of being careful how you walk, understanding the will of the Lord, and being filled with the Spirit. Paul actually expects children who are believers. He actually expects children who are believers to be filled with the Spirit. It's time we stop making excuses. When Paul wrote his letters to the churches, it was his intention that they be read publicly to the gathered assembly. Here he addresses children directly, which means he expected children to be present when the Scripture was read and taught, which is why while we have many great children's programs that I want to encourage you to avail yourself to, we actually, however, encourage you to bring your children to big church. You might think that your third grader is not getting much out of our time together. You might actually be right. No. We see here an expectation that they gather with us that as much as possible they grow from the reading and proclamation of the Word of God. And I want to suggest that there is something about worshiping together as a family. I'm going to just go out on a limb here. Make your kids sit with you. Because there is something about worshiping as a family for children seeing their parents worshiping God. Do you know that in some churches, it's not till like middle school that kids are ever with their parents, ever see their parents worshiping. That is a travesty. Look at, the beginning of the, look at the beginning of the passage. First word, children. Children. Listen up. The word is technon. It isn't so much age-specific as it is relationship-specific. What does that mean? 
doesn't mean we're, we think children, we think just babies. We think small children. But it, the word actually refers to any offspring. It usually does refer to children who are still in the home under the authority of their parents. That seems to be the sense here. You look at it with verse 4, it uses the same word. It talks about fathers bringing their children up. So this morning, understand that Paul is addressing children and their responsibilities to this particular household code. So I'm actually going to address children this morning. So kids, I want you to listen. You might say, I haven't been a child in years. It's okay. Because the principles that we're going to talk about, you must impress on your children and your grandchildren, listen, for them to live long. And I would say it that way. You keep living that way, you're going to an early grave. Don't tell them that you'll be the one to put them there. Paul is addressing every child and young person who is still under the authority of his or her parents. So I'm not just talking to six-year-olds, children's teens, and even older, have two responsibilities that are listed in this passage. Number one is an, is an action. Obey your parents. The second one is the attitude behind the action, and that is to honor your parents. And I'm going to suggest that the second one is always true, no matter how old you are. Obey and honor. Get those two things down. You'll understand the sum total of your responsibility before the Lord. Command number one, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The word for obey is a little different from the word that Paul used to speak to wives in relation to their husbands. The word there spoke of a voluntary submitting in the, ta- in the, uh, in the way that it was written, a voluntary submitting to someone else's authority. Here the word is it's the word hupakuo. It's the word from which we get our word acoustics. And so the word literally means to listen under, which means to, to obey, to respond to, to answer to. Very simply, this is what it means. It means to listen, to come under your parents' authority and do what you're told. By the way, it's a command. It's not voluntary. So how much of what I am told am I in? to do. Do I have to do everything? Colossians chapter 3, Paul says it a bit more clearly. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. So the answer is yes. You have to obey in everything. But you say, what if I don't, what if I don't want to? What if I don't like it? What if I don't like doing the dishes? They don't either. That's why they make you do it. (laughs) Obeying does not mean you have to like it, but you obey anyway. Now, I know that some of you parents don't like the sound of that. You say, I I want them to obey and I want them to like it. But, But I bring to you the example of Jesus, who was obedient to his father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. He pleaded with his father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. No other way. And so Hebrews 12 tells us he endured the cross, didn't like it, despising its shame. For what? For the joy that was set before him. In in other words, he went to the cross looking for what was beyond it, the result of his obedience. He did it because it was right. My point is, as we cause, sometimes even force our children to obey, they may have to do some unpleasant things. We should not become angry because they don't 
because they don't like it. I don't see the father being angry with his son as he talked to him in the garden. Griping, complaining, disrespect, begrudging obedience, that's a whole different thing. We'll talk about that when we talk about honor. Children, obey your parents. Notice it says parents. That's both of them, not just your dad because he carries the bigger stick. It is moms and dads. Do not make your dad have to be the bad guy. Do what mom says so she doesn't have to say to you, wait till your father comes home, which we know there's a standard measurement of time between crime and punishment. Obey your parents in the Lord. What does this mean? Some have suggested that, that this means you only have to obey your parents if they are Christians. Obey your parents, the ones who are in the Lord. Which means if your parents aren't Christians, good for you. You get to do whatever you want. Wrong. It's the same principle that we saw with, with husbands and wives. Uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Next, to slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters as to Christ. The command here is to obey your parents. And the command to obey comes from the Word of God is the idea. The in the Lord actually um, modifies obey. You obey in the Lord. So when you obey your parents, you're obeying Christ, is the idea. And when you disobey your parents, you're disobeying Christ. Yes, the same principle applies from last week. If parents command what the Scripture forbids, or forbids what the Scripture commands, then we uh, respectfully obey God. It, this is why Jesus himself said in, that his message, his gospel, his life, would divide households, fathers against sons and vice versa, mothers against daughters, vice versa. But, but that is to be the exception rather than, than the rule. Now let me talk to parents for just a moment because I believe in this, uh, as in the Lord, uh, there's an important principle for us to grasp. We need to understand that our authority over our children comes from the Lord Himself. It's not just because they're little and we can beat them up. What this means is that we will give an answer to God for the way that we have handled this trust that has been given to us. We will give an account for how we have reared our children. We'll talk about how when we get to verse 4 later. Our authority comes from the Lord, which means we should help our children understand that early on. Our authority comes from God, and we should begin transferring that authority to God. You see, if they only obey our authority, that will cause them to obey when we're around. But when we're not around, even though you have them convinced you're omnipresent, you're not. And when we're not around, when we can't see them, when they're away from our homes, what causes them to obey? We need to help them understand that all authority, including our own authority, ultimately comes from God. Even we, as grown-ups, Adults are people under authority. We had to come to understand that. I mean, don't you love it when your kids say something like, I can't wait to grow up and move out. Then I can do whatever I want. To which we respond, no, you can't. You'll end up in prison. Because there's always an ultimate authority. And that ultimate authority comes from God himself. So let me give you an example of transferring this authority. When you tell your kids, to do something, and the inevitable response comes back, well, you know, why? A better answer than, because I said so, is, well, because God 
the ultimate authority in our lives has made me responsible for your nurture, your care, and your discipline. And in order for you to be obedient to God, you should obey me as I seek to do what is best for you. Isn't that good? I want to confess that I have never personally practiced that. No, I have. Because I said so, it just seems to work so much better. Um, it might take us a little bit longer. Uh, but, but, but by doing that, we'll accomplish two things. First, it will help our, understand, our kids understand that they and we are accountable to God. And second, it might help us to determine if our orders to them are indeed for their care, nurture, and discipline. Or are they just irritating us? Because they're short people. Back to kids. How long, you ask, do I have to obey? I think I can safely say that you have to, the responsibility to obey as long as you come under the, the authority of your parents. Notice I did not say as long as you are under their roof, I said under their authority, which means whether you're in grade school or high school or college, you have the responsibility to obey. Even if they are not present, God, who is your ultimate authority, is present, so you obey as long as you are under their authority. You obey until you leave father and mother and become united to your spouse and form your own family unit. There is a sense then in which you will, a sense then in which you are free from their authority. So what if you remain single all your life? I'll let you deal with that with your parents. I'm serious. If, if you have godly parents, you, get, you, you, you grow up, you get married, you become your own family unit. And you have godly parents, and they suggest something to you. I want to suggest that I don't care how old you are, you should carefully consider what they say. I, I said this last fall. We happened to go through this family series last fall, and I brought this up as an example. My parents are, are both still alive. They're in their 70s. Um, my dad has Alzheimer's. And if my parents told me today to do something, I would likely do it. You are to obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Paul says, for this is right. In Colossians, he says, when you obey them, it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So how is it right? How is it well-pleasing? Lots of reasons. Maybe Paul was thinking that it is accepted in, as proper in almost every civilization, every society, that obeying parents is right and necessity to a stable society. You see, the law of God is written on the hearts of people. They understand from the time they're little, I better obey my parents. Most kids feel badly when they disobey their parents. It isn't until later when they've had the opportunity to kill their conscience that they no longer feel badly. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that in our rebellion, in our killing of our consciences, in our rebellion... God has given us, humanity, humankind, over to depraved minds, which results in doing things, and I quote now, which are not proper. And then he gives a list of improper actions. And in the midst of that list are children who are disobedient to their parents. This is a result of a depraved mind. one of the signs of the last day, 2 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, same author, last letter he wrote, 
says this, in the last days, difficult day, uh, times will come. And then he gives a list, a description. This is what it's going to be like. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. Yeah, we get that. Disobedient to parents. And it goes on. Right in the middle of this awful list of actions and activities in the last days is disobedience to parents. It is a sign of rebellion against God. It is right to obey parents. Maybe Paul had the Old Testament law of God in mind because he's going to, in the very next verse, quote the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Maybe he was thinking of all of those Old Testament passages that talk about stoning rebellious or disrespectful children. Stoning. You thought spanking was bad. Maybe the wise words of Solomon come to mind. Hear my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Maybe he was thinking of Jesus' words when he said to us, honor your parents. And example that in his own life. Fact is, it is right, it is pleasing to the Lord to obey parents. Not only do we obey them, you also honor them secondly. In other words, there is an attitude to support our actions. You don't obey because you have to. You don't obey because you'll get stoned or spanked. You don't obey because they're bigger. You don't obey with a resentful or bitter attitude. You obey with an attitude of honor. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Paul commands us to honor our parents by quoting the fifth commandment from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, I need to take a little aside here. You almost have to be asleep to not know that Christianity is being assailed. And one of the ways that they are attacking Christianity today is talking about all of those commands in the Bible that are ridiculous, like stoning your children. When we, I'll come back to that. When we think of the Ten Commandments, we normally group the first four as encompassing our duty to God and the next six encompassing our duty to each other. And put it on this. Let's go to the next slide so you can put it. Right, that's how we, that's how, how we think of it. First four to God, next six to us. This is not the way the Jews divided them. They saw the Ten Commandments as written on two tablets of stone and they placed the first five on one tablet going together and the second five on the second tablet, like this. Why is this important? Because they saw honoring father and mother as a duty to God. And I want to suggest this is the understanding of the Old Testament. They understood that parents were placed in the lives of children to be the loving authority over them in a sense, in a sense, to represent God to their children. You are representing God to your child. That places parenting in a whole new realm. Can't take it quite as lightly as I used to. It also places a high responsibility on children as well. They are to obey and honor parents in the Lord. Obey and honor as if obeying and honoring God. That's why Moses, the author of the well, I mean, the scribe who wrote down the Ten Commandments in Exodus and Deuteronomy also wrote the book of 
Leviticus in chapter 19 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all of the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and father. What? What? Uh, That's a little mixed up. That goes in the second tablet. Uh, Keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Seems a little out of place. Be holy. I'm holy. Keep my Sabbaths. Reverence your parents. He goes on in verse 4 to talk about idols. So here's my question. How does honoring parents come in the middle of being holy because God is holy, observing a holy day, and not making idols. Because one way we are holy as He is holy is to honor and respect God by honoring and respecting the authority that God has placed in our lives. For children, that is parents, to honor parents is to honor the God-given authority in our lives and to dishonor Parents is to dishonor God. This is the way they saw this. That is why the Old Covenant had some strong things about rebelling against your parents. Now, when you think about this list, if you built an idol in the nation of Israel, what was the punishment? Well, it was death. If you rebelled against your parents by striking or cursing them, what was the punishment? Say it. It was death. Now listen carefully right now. Because I do not want this to end up on YouTube. I am not advocating the death penalty for rebellious children. I am, however, suggesting that Scripture, within the covenant community, today the church equates honoring parents with honoring God and dishonoring parents with dishonoring God. I want you to know that this is very serious. You cannot approach this flippantly. And Paul says, honor your parents, quotes the Old Testament law, then says, so it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. He's actually saying, if you don't, you may not see long life. Not by the death penalty, but by foolish living resulting in early, untimely death. And we all know examples of people who lived foolishly and died early. Honor your parents. Honor means to respect, to esteem, or to reverence, to have a high regard for. Just like last couple of weeks, Paul does not say to have a high regard for them because they deserve it. To to honor the really, really good parents and blow off the rest. Your obedience and honor toward your parents is a command based simply on the fact that they are your parents. You do what they say and you honor them in the process because of the position they hold. It does not matter how bad your parents are. You can compare your parents to anybody else and always find better parents. No such thing as perfect parents. We all make mistakes. None of us fully deserve respect, but it is commanded anyway. Some of you here this morning, children as well as adults are saying, you don't get it. You you, you could never understand what I went through as a child. You didn't understand what my life was or is like. And very gently, I, I am not telling you to like your childhood. And I am not 
telling you to honor their actions towards you. What I am saying is that we have a responsibility to honor parents and that honor never stops. You see, when Jesus was talking to some adult Pharisees, he challenged them, actually condemned them, for setting aside their responsibility to honor their parents by not taking care of them. Honor never stops. First commandment with a promise. Promise is that it will go well with you, that's quality, and that you'll have live long upon the earth, that's quantity. And you say, what? I mean, I can think of all kinds of exceptions to that, and you would be right. This is simply a principle. One author said it this way. As a general rule, obedience and honor foster self-discipline, which in turn brings stability, longevity, well-being. Disobedience and dishonor promote a lack of discipline, which in turn brings instability, a shortened life, and a lack of well-being. Generalities always must allow for exceptions. You only have to look around to, 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 to point out the exceptions to know that there are some. But the fact is, parents, generally speaking, do what is best for you. For example, they tell you not to play in the street. That's for your good. You'll likely live longer. Tell you to, to slow down when you drive, not text or talk on the phone when you drive. It's for your own good. You'll likely live longer. Don't stay out too late. Don't get drunk. Don't do drugs. Host of other things. Not trying to, they're trying to increase the quality and preserve the quantity of your life. We close by asking a very simple question. What are some ways that we can honor our parents? Um, I, I covered this last fall. If you want a further elaboration of these points, you can get, on, uh, get it on podcast. Three very quick things that apply, frankly, to everyone in this room. First, you can honor your parents by obeying them with an honoring attitude. doesn't mean you have to like the task, but you respect them in the process. Second, we can honor our parents by taking care of their needs. I'm primarily talking to adults now, but I want you to remember that Jesus pegged the Pharisees for not taking care of their parents and not obeying the command to honor. Third, last, applies to every person in the room, particularly if you have Christian parents. Third John, verse 4 says, John said this, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Uh, yes, he's talking about his spiritual children, but it cannot not apply to physical children as well. We are at the time of the year, end of the year, homeschool graduation yesterday, public school graduation next week. I mean, it is award ceremony, ceremony ad infinitum, ad nauseum. Of all of the accomplishments our children could attain, of all of the heights to which they could climb, of all of the awards and trophies and accolades that they could acquire, nothing is more important than to see them walking in the truth. To see children, our children, walking with Jesus. And so children, you can bring your parents no greater joy, no greater honor than to serve the God that they know and love and serve. To know Jesus the way that they know Jesus. So... You say, are you saying that I can honor my parents by believing in Jesus even if I don't? No. I am, however, suggesting that your parents might actually be right. At least honor them with an honest 
faithful intellectual and spiritual examination of the facts before dishonoring them and dismissing their faith because that's what your peers are doing. Obey them respectfully. I'm going to say that several times next service. Take care of them as they age and follow their Christ. Let's thank you for that.